Did you know more than one in seven U.S. adults have kidney disease and many don't know it? This National Kidney Month, find out what causes kidney disease and what you can do to take control of your health. Take a no-cost Kidney Smart class online at www.davita.com slash kidneysmart. That's www.davita.com slash kidneysmart. Blog Talk Radio. It's already done. It's the Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast with host Tyra Little. We're live Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level. We're unpacking emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical topics that influence and often control us. Get ready to unload, examine, and process. Let's get unpacked on Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Hello, and welcome to Pressure Points Unpacked, where we are transforming Tuesdays, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. I'm your host, Kyra Little, and my co-host for the month of August is licensed professional counselor supervisor, Shamik McPherson, who is the founder of Clear Vision Counseling, and Elder Shepherd Drayton Jr., who is the missions pastor of New Refuge Church in Pauley Island, South Carolina. Today, we're going to talk about the grief variation, how men and women grieve. So today, because I have experienced traumatic grief as well as Elder Shepherd, um, along with some other grief issues that we've had, um, we normally give you guys a whole bunch of statistics, but today we're not going to do that. We're just going to have an open discussion where we're going to talk about, from our perspectives, how things have worked in our life. So let's get unpacked. Shamik? Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is having an awesome week so far. I know it's only Tuesday, but I'm certain that our week feels like it's, it's already Friday. Um, Tara, again, I thank you for allowing us to have this open conversation to really dig into uh, grief and the impact that it has on so many of us, especially after we have been uh, thriving and trying to survive through this pandemic. I think this conversation is necessary Mm -hmm. for so many people because uh, I think over the last year and 18 months, we have lost so many things, Uh, not just people, but a sense of normalcy. Um, Our children Mm -hmm. are also, you know, losing a lot of things in the process. So I think this conversation is very poignant right now. So today we are going to really dig into exploring how men and women differ in their grief process. Um, I thought it would be interesting for us to really not just dig into statistics, but to look at how the experience has impacted a male and a female. And ironically, uh, with you, Tyra, and Elder Shep, we have two people that have experienced experience grief in a significant way. And being that you guys are different in gender, I just wanted to dig into understanding the different perspectives and experiences and help those who are listening who may be male and struggling through their grief or female and struggling through their grief to give them some insight into how you dealt with your grief. Um, Tara, just for those who have not really Know, that don't really know your whole story. Can you give us just a little bit of background of the things that you have discovered through this process that are your grief-related issues? Wow. Okay. Um, well, I will start by saying immediately um, after my son was murdered by the police, um, there was a conference that um, that I was in and there was a lady that was speaking. Um, and when I heard her talk, um, everyone has the right, so don't get me wrong because I'm not judging her, but I can only say that what I heard from her, it was a, it was a place of anger that it seemed like it 
like it consumes her differently. I, I'm trying to get to formulate the right words to explain um, what I saw, but I can truly say I know I did not want to be her. I wanted to be able to still do the things that I needed to do um, and to make a difference in a way to where you have a right to be angry, but I needed to be able to function and to help other people because I feel like anything that you go through, it's not just for you. It's, it's to help somebody else to push through. Um, and so immediately I knew that I had to go into counseling. Um, and the beauty of this conversation today also is that um, I went through counseling with dealing from um, another perspective through the VA, but then I also had a spiritual guidance um, in the counseling component. And ironically enough, it was Elder Shuck, um who actually handled that part of the counseling for me. And in one of the early shows that we've had for this month, one of the things that I said that to me, when he made the statement to me, it hit home in so many aspects for me. Like um, I came in one day and he asked me, he said, um, how do you feel today? And I told him crazy. And he was able to explain to me that the reason being is because you're three parts. And so when all three parts are grieving at that one time, like you get that that, that feeling of feeling crazy. And I've been able to utilize that in every aspect of my life. So when different things that happen, I'm able to actually go back to that. Um, and so for me, that was, that was a powerful nugget for me. Um, as I was doing, and, and one of the things when it comes to this and dealing with counseling and just going through this process, man, I found times where I was really, I didn't want to do the homework. Um, you know, angry because you just, I'm trying to, trying to, trying to get the right words here, Shamik, just to kind of, um, just explain, because I mean, you know, as a mother, I, I, as a parent, I feel like no one should ever have to bury their children. Um, so that in itself, um, that in itself was just really huge, and it just, it, it still to this day, I mean, I, I go through a different range of emotions, but I think that I'm at a, at a place to where I can try to help to guide someone else. So right now I feel like okay. I'm kind of babbling. <laughs> so I'm going to turn it back to you. I don't know if I actually answered your question, but... Um, yeah. Well, you did. You see, you when I when I asked you of all your grief-related experiences, the one that sounds like it's the most impactful was your son's murder. Um, and and like you said, no parent wants to have to bury their child. So you know, on on the male side of things, um, there's a couple of things we can pull out there, eldership. Can you can you give us just a little bit of background and insight into uh, your the things you've discovered through this process about your grief? related issues in your grief and loss. Yeah, yes. Um thanks Shamik. Thank Tyra for thank you Tyra for having me on again. Um from the male perspective, you know, what I found is that, you know, of course dealing with the trauma of losing a child is is, you know, the, the pinnacle of, of the issues um, but then as you start to try to settle yourself and settle your mind, you start learning more about you as a person and what triggers you. Uh, and for me, I realized that my frustrations were always at a heightened place. Um, I realized, But also my compassion and empathy was at a heightened place as well. I could watch a movie that involves any anything uh, anything around grief, and by the end of the movie, I'm in tears. Um, it was always a place that saddened me, but because my emotions are just under the surface after my experience, I find that you know I'm, I'm my compassion and empathy is at a heightened place. Um, and from the male perspective, what I realized in the process of all of this is that. Um, Females 
tend to, when they talk with each other, they have conversations about themselves. You know, what I cook today, what I'm wearing to this particular function, um, you know, uh, what's going on in my family, what the kids are doing. And men tend to have conversations about exterior, outside things, a football game, going fishing, um, not really about their emotions, so to speak. And I think I found myself in a profound place of loneliness uh, because normally men release their emotions to their wives. And if the wife is going through the same thing and is already crippled by the, the grief, then as a protector, he tends to hold on to it, or I did. I tend to hold on to the emotions that I was feeling. And, you know, if I cried, I cried alone. Um, and, and so that she, because I didn't want to put any more weight on her, more weight than she was already carrying, and no more weight on the children as well. And so I realized that there's a profound loneliness um, as it relates to grief for men while they're going through the process of grieving. And, you know, you highlighted some very important differences between men and women. And it's, it's, it's strange that, like, you're, you're bringing kind of, like, what you know clinically and therapeutically to the forefront in your experience because that is a very true statement. Men tend to do more of an internal um, process when it comes to grief. They minimize their feelings um, in outward expression. Men are not going to typically go to support groups and discuss, you know, how they're feeling. They will, you know, sit alone and reflect on, you know, how they're feeling, but they don't manifest it to their wife or their children because, that takes me out of protector mode, and it puts me in the, in the position of vulnerability where they have to protect me, and I am the man, so now I'm not protecting them. So what you just described was like mm-hmm. what we really often see when it comes to the dynamics between men and women and how they grieve. So um, I guess, you know, transitioning from mm-hmm. – I'm listening to what you're saying, and what I found was, I I mean, you know, this is going to take me back to a place, but what I realized also, um, I know that men and women, like the setup that he just said, like about um, the protective mode, but you know what, for me, when you're dealing from a single parent, right, at the time, wow, I had to do that very thing because what I found myself doing is, you know, I could never cry um, in front of my youngest son because I had to be strong for him. You know what I'm saying? Um, the same for, you know, with my mom, I'm being strong for her. And then when I think back about because this thing was heavy um, for me because it was like a double whammy because four months prior, my oldest son <clears throat> had gotten sentenced. And so I'm having to be on the phone with him, explaining to him what happened to his brother. And then when I go see him, I can't sit there and cry because he's locked up. And I'm having to even explain to him, look, it's not that I that I that this doesn't affect me, but I can't cry in here with you because I don't want to because I have to leave you, and I don't want to leave you in a space to where now you're worrying. What's going on out here, you know, and you're back here? Man, that's, 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 whoa. Yeah. Um, what you, you know, it sounds like what you just described was compartmentalizing your grief. You had to find convenient mm-hmm. times to process it. And it sounds like you said that you sought out therapy right after the incident happened. So, you know, your convenient time to grieve was in therapy. And it's important to note that, you know, this is not this is not always going to happen. Like men are not always going to grieve the same way. Sometimes men mm-hmm. will grieve openly, emotionally, and then sometimes it flips where the women are the, the person is the person that internalizes it a little bit more and processes their emotions internally. So it sounds like because you were in a single parent uh, situation, you had to compartmentalize your grief to the convenience of 
what everyone else around you needed. But I, I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of shift and, and, and kind of go back to Elder Shep here because Tyra said that she immediately sought help for her loss. Being that you are spiritual uh, therapist, you know, so to speak, um, did you seek help after the loss of your daughter, Elder Shep? Not initially. Um, initially, I I, um, I put it on the back burner. It was it, I felt like it was something that every I needed to see everyone else through at first, um, and um, so but I did eventually um, seek counseling, and it was very very beneficial. But initially, I felt like I needed to make sure that everyone else was okay, you know, the wife and the children. Um, and then initially, I didn't want to talk about it because I, as a protector, when something like this happens, you feel like you you um, you failed. And so conversation was, to me, was like a reminder of my failure. And um, even though there was nothing I could do and I did everything that I could do, um, you know, in rearing in rearing my daughter. But when something like this happens, it's like um, you're not there to protect them. And so every conversation felt like a reminder that I failed. Um, and so I think that's initially why I didn't want to seek counseling and get in there and um, – really get down to some core things that was going on in, internally. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that you, you, you highlight more things that are, are different between men or women, men and women because you shifted to kind of like what Tyra did where she made her grief about the, you know, the convenience. Her grieving was convenient in certain spaces, and it sounds like you did the same thing because as a protector, you did not see the convenience in grieving before your wife and children. So you kind of, you know, you allowed them to go through the grief process and you took a back burner. Is that kind of like the approach you took? It, it Yes, it's, it's exactly the approach I took um, because watching them go through was very painful to see for me. And, you know, um, um, and just like with losing the child, there was nothing I could do about it. And then at the same time, watching them go through the grief and not be able to do anything about it um, was very painful. So I wanted to see them get as much help as possible. So I did take a back seat to allow that to happen. Yeah. So you you shifted into what most men do, right? Like if you if I tell my husband, I can say the simplest thing to him and he immediately shifts into how can I solve this problem? So it sounds like that's what you that's what you focused on was let me solve this problem for the family. Yes. And solving the yes. problem is let let's help them grieve. And that's kind of yes. like you know, it's just how men process certain things. They they see themselves as protectors and problem solvers for their family. So the the problem is, okay, let's let's manage this grief situation. Let's get the women and children in first and let them do the grieving and then I'll come behind and and work on my stuff later. And so it becomes that convenient compartmentalized thing. But also, you know, another thing that you that you highlighted was the fact that you know, if you did it before them, you were going to feel guilty about that, you right. know, because typically those are, the, those are the two primary emotions that men are going to dig out first, which is, you know, they're going to be either angry or they feel guilty because I was supposed to protect or I should have been there during this situation to prevent this or if I had done. So it, it's very, very similar to, to many men's experience in this process. Um, yeah, I, I do. I had both. I had I had the um, anger and the guilt, but the other thing I had uh, a lot of was nightmares. I had nightmares for a long period of time, um, and they were they were interesting because even though they were nightmares, um, in the in the dreams I would see my daughter and. Even though they were nightmares, I was grateful that I had them because there was an op- it was an opportunity for me to see her, even though it was a dream and it wasn't a good dream. But 
I, I was able to see her in the dream. And so I thought that was interesting, an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and that goes back to what we talked about in when we were discussing traumatic grief. The, night, the nightmares was a part of the trauma process. You know, it, it's, it's how the brain responds to trauma. You have a nightmare or memories about certain things, and it seems like it, you put yourself in the place of you're in the dream so you get to see her. Um, I think that's also something to really openly process about grief. One of the things that we, we come to understand in the therapeutic environment is that um, different cultures process grief differently, and the experience is different, and some of the expectations are different. So when I have, like, a clients who have an African-American background, typically they will say that I'm waiting for the person to come to me in a dream. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, mm-hmm. I think that is a that brings a sense of peace to a lot of people because they begin to feel like if I see them in the dream, I know that they're okay. Um, even though this, you know, this happened, me seeing them in the dream puts me in a place of peace. Did either of you have that experience or thought process after, after your loss? Yes, I did. I did. What about you, Tyra? Hmm. Ask the question again. I have, wow, I have really drifted my mind. I've really drifted. What was your question again? Have you... Have you have you had the experience where you you desired or or wanted to see your son in a dream so you could be at peace about the law? Many hmm. African Americans well, you know like desire right. that. Right. And, and you okay. know what? I can say I actually um, had a dream right like shortly after. It was right. It was right after um, his services. So um, I I did have that type of you know, some peace from I got a chance to see his face. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I did not understand wholeheartedly what was going on in the dream, you know what I'm saying, but I did have some peace because I did see his face. Okay, okay. Now, you know, when we when we go back to the stages of grief, Elder Shep pointed out that he did have anger. He had feelings of anger, Um and mm-hmm. he also expressed that he experienced some nightmares, which was the traumatic part of what he experienced. But if we go back to the stages of grief, we know that there's denial, there's anger, there's bargaining, there's the depression, and then we transition to acceptance. So, um, you know, when after your loss, do you remember what your primary stage of grief was, Tyra? Um, Wow. I was. I'm, I'm gonna tell you. I think I was. I was in a form of like some type of survival mode, you know, because I knew that um, I had to be there for Damani. I, I had to be there for my youngest son. Um, so I think I kind of. I, I took a back burner. It's not. I. I really did. I took. I took a back burner. I was trying to, you know, go to counseling and do the work that way, but Shanika, I have to tell you, I had a nasty crash, man, and when I crashed, I crashed. Um, it was it was really bad. I, I think I put a lot um, out in the forefront, you know, making it seem like, you know, okay, hey, I'm, I'm going through this, and, you know, I'm constantly hearing people saying to me, oh, you're so strong, you're, you know what I'm saying, you, you're constantly hearing this, Um and so I think I, I kept up some type of, some form of, of facade with that. Yeah, uh, let me ask you this. So so do you think that um, when Elder Shep was talking about how he noticed, when we, when we discussed traumatic grief, he was talking about uh, instances where he noticed that with black women and their, their grief, it was a little bit different because they, they, um, if I remember correct, Eldership, you said it was like they shift into a place where they did not focus on their grief, and they shift into a place where they just started to take care of everything and everyone around them. It was, yes. was that the description of what you described? Okay. So it, it sounds like that's kind of like where you were, Tyra, like the explanation mm-hmm. of what he described of how some women just, you know, they put their, they compartmentalize that grief and put it on a back burner and they begin to take care of everything mm-hmm. and everyone around them. It sounds like that is where you were. 
And we also mm-hmm. discuss the fact that that is actually a trauma response, right? It's like you can you learn how to compartmentalize certain areas of your life because, you know, the last time I had this threat or issue, I had to take care of everything by myself. So it's, yes. it's kind of right. like how some people respond to certain right. situations. So, right. you know, um, Elder Shep, was there a specific, besides the anger, you know, was, was there another stage of grief that got a hold of you during the process? Oh, most definitely, it was denial. Even though I had, you know, uh, went through the process, um, we had the funeral, I saw her laying there. Uh, I think one of the factors is that we lived in South Carolina. She lived in Orlando, and so she lived at a distance. And, And so even though I went through everything, saw everything, dealt with people, it was almost like a part of my brain turned off and I, that part of what I experienced was in a fall and I just accepted the other part of my brain, just kind of processed it that um, she's not really gone, she just is not living close to where I am. And so I kind of lived in that place even though I knew it wasn't the right place to live in, but it was the most comfortable comfortable place to be in. Um, wow. And so I allowed that denial to be a part of me for a very long time. And um, it just felt better to look at it that way. And so definitely denial. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. You know what? So, you know what? Let, let me say something else too, Shami. You know what? Because I, I just thought about something else. Because even with um, with the Johnny and just around all of the court stuff, I, I think part of the reason, and and it goes right back to that, I'm taking care of everybody else. I'm even remembering that night, the scene, um, as some of my friends came to the house and they breaking down, and I'm grabbing them and I'm supporting everybody else. You know, and Wow, I, it, I, I had to be at a certain place in a certain level. Um, I felt like to be able to um, talk with the coroner's office, talking with the police. You know what I'm saying? It was like I had to be, I had to be his voice. And so at that point in time, I didn't really have the time to grieve. I, I, I had to take, I, even even in death, I had to take care of him. If that makes sense. Yeah, it, 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 you went into survival mode again. You went into let me take care of everything around me, even though he's not here. I'm still taking care of things on his behalf. Now, the, the thing about it is also um, each of you have children who went through this process of grief. Elder Shep, you went through it with your wife and your children. But um, can you can you give us a little bit of insight into how your son responded, uh, Tyra, to the loss? Um, do you did you pull out anything like maybe something you missed or you would have done differently with him through that process? Um, yes. Um, with my youngest son, I tried to get him into counseling, um, and what I did was I tried to utilize a person that I felt was closer to him to talk to him at that time. Um, I think I would have would have gotten more guidance as to how to get him help because he he ran from it. Um, I mean, it was like he sitting in the office and it was like a, it, he he shut down. Um, he didn't want to talk to the person that was counseling him. He was just like, "I'll be okay if you just let me out of here. Please let me out of here." Um, so I think I would have probably. Um, reached out to somebody more so on a professional level to find out exactly how I could help him. Because even with that, it felt like just such a failed mission because I couldn't get help for him. Well, I think the thing to consider in that is, remember, one of the things we talked about was absent grief and also delayed grief. So I think you have to take into consideration not everybody's grief process is going to be the same. So while your son Mm -hmm. did have that experience, maybe his grief onset was a little bit delayed 
and there was there 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 could have possibly not been a need to address anything at that particular time because you did give him the outlet to explore it, but it seems like that was something he was just like not ready to deal with that. And I would think he's a young man. You know, we we have mm-hmm. to consider traditionally how we view men, and even what we teach young boys about manhood. Like you know, they don't they do not primarily learn how to express emotions. So that must have been very difficult for him. So I wouldn't say that, you know, you did anything that was not, you know, wrong or should not have been done. But I think in consideration of his feelings at that time, maybe he was experiencing absent or delayed grief at that time. And maybe he needed to process it um, at a different time or even in a different way. Mm -hmm. So, um, Elder Shep, you you uh, you saw your wife and your children go through this. What was yeah. your experience with your family when it comes when it came to processing their grief? Uh, well, my son and my daughter grieved um, very differently. Um, my daughter grieved um initially when we when they both went up with, with, with us to Orlando they both got the, the news the same time we did they both experienced other families that were going through the same crisis at the same time um and so uh so all the information that we were getting they were getting my daughter cried my son um he sponged up all the information observed all of the grief that was going on all around him but he was emotionless, um, and er- every ounce of information that would, was given from that time until the time of the funeral, he absorbed it, but he didn't process it or he didn't release it up until the day of the funeral. During the funeral, he had a, a real meltdown. He hyperventilated, couldn't breathe, and he was like, um, dead weight. We were trying to move him from the front row to another place, trying to get him some water. Uh, he had just had this meltdown um, that wasn't really a tearful expression, but like a a check valve that couldn't take any more pressure type release. Um, but even after that, he had to go out of the country to school and had to get therapy, I mean, counseling immediately because of where he was personally versus my daughter. And so, my, and you know, that, my, that sounds like he bottled a lot of stuff up and it's just like a pressure point. It exploded. Yes, yes, yes. And he is still like that um, in, in everything, you know. He is, his anxieties are a little higher, um, but that's how he processed it and... But unlike me, he got counseling while he was in school, and um, I think that helped, you know, helped him a, a bunch. Yeah. Okay. My daughter, now, my daughter um, didn't get counseling immediately. She went, she went to college, um, and she started. Uh, it was very hard for her to get through the first semester because um, the workload and the experience all collided at the same time. And so it was very difficult for us to help walk her through and talk her through that semester, and she did not return to school that next semester. And so I think that was because she didn't get the initial counseling that she needed to get. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so it, it sounds like they, they still kind of, they, they grieved along kind of some of similar grief lines where, and I think that we also have to consider age and uh, emotional and intellect mm-hmm. and awareness when it comes to grief with younger people, young adults, um, mm-hmm. because maybe mm-hmm. they just weren't in the space to be able to do a lot of emotional expression. Um, did, Elder Shep, did you notice that there was maybe a difference between how your wife grieved and how you how you grieved? Because, you know, men, like we said, men will minimize the feelings. They go into a problem-solving mode, and they, they express their emotions in an internal, reflective way. Do you see, like, in any areas, was your wife different in that, in her grief process? My wife was 
a different person completely. Her 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 grief, um, if if you could measure it on a scale of one to ten, it was it started like Tyra. Now Tyra was interesting because she had no one minimum help in in her in her situation, so she had to do a lot. Um, my wife is normally a strong person, and so she started out in the first part of the grief process very strong, sure, but then, you know, three, four months down the road, it imploded on her, and she lost maybe 30, 40 pounds. Um, she, her body shook like a nervous shake, like she was losing her mind. She couldn't remember anything. Um, she didn't do um, normal things that she did, like cook, clean. Those were things that if you put something down, she's going to pick it up. All of those, all of those characteristics that she had went away. Um, her physical body was changing. Her mental condition was changing. Um, it was like a different person in the house. It, it sounds like um, did did you did you guys did you guys take note of of how each other like processed through that that whole cycle of grief? where you were able to openly communicate to each other? Like, was she able to say uh, to you, maybe you're not saying how you're feeling, and were you able to say to her, uh, sweetheart, I think you're spiraling, let's figure out how to help each other? Like, were you able to communicate through that? There were attempts, but not – the communication wasn't very well. Um, wasn't wasn't good communication, even though it was attempt. There was concern – but the, the the questions that needed to be asked wasn't asked. Um, and then for me, I felt like if I distanced myself a little bit from the kids and from my wife, if it happens again, it wouldn't be as painful. Um, so that was in the back of my mind while we all were going through the same thing. Uh, but that communication gap of trying to put you know, uh, uh, answer to the to what I saw, or trying to discover or find an answer to what I saw. Um, neither one of us could articulate it. Yeah, you know, communication after the loss of a child seems to be a very difficult thing for many couples. Um, you know, like there's you know instances where a couple will lose a child, whether it's a, an adult or a young child, and years later they're divorcing because it, it just becomes such a difficult battle um, to communicate and to openly express and support each other. So you see that a lot when when parents lose children. So, you know, I, I thank God that you guys were able to, you know, go through your process mm-hmm. and still remain strong enough for each other to be able to, you know, still stand in support of each other. That's that's awesome Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah um, so it sounds like each of you and your family systems um, you did seek out clinical therapy however I want to know what was your support system like for each each side of this you know Tyra you you have I I believe you have you know your mom your sibling um, and and so do you and uh, eldership, you know, you guys have an extended family. But Tyra, tell me what your support system was looking like beyond therapy. Wow. Um, where my mom was involved, she really didn't want to talk about what had happened. Um, and I think part of it is because she felt she felt some guilt in the fact that you know, she placed a phone call. She had no idea that they were going to come to the house and murder my son. So there was no outlet there um, to really discuss anything. So um, that wasn't a support system there. Um, and as far as with my oldest son, by him being locked up, you know, I could only talk to him, you know, when he called. But then when he called, again, it, it was like I I felt, I don't know, I think part of me kind of felt guilty at the fact that he sounded like, okay, well, you're not crying. You know, like, you know, what, what what's going on here? You know, why why are you not crying? Why are you not 
you know, in this particular place, but I'm trying to be strong for him. Um, with my youngest son, I found myself running from having any discussion with him because I felt like it was going to cause him to have a meltdown. I felt like he couldn't take it. So I really couldn't, um, as much as I wanted him to try to open up, I, I wanted to try to fix his pain because I could see it, you know. Um, I really didn't have that outlet. And so then afterwards, you know, he left and went in the military. And so there would be times that we would talk, and as bad as I wanted to address it, or it was a lot of times our conversations were being spoken. So it was like he would call when it was a Johnny's birthday, and then, you know, on the date of when it happened, and it's the unspoken. You know, he's quiet, or he may just say, well, I just called because I just wanted to see how you were doing today. Well, I understood, you know, exactly what that was. Um, so it wasn't too much of a support there. Now, as far as um, uh, with my sibling, I really didn't have that much conversation there with him um, about it. Um, I did have family members that, you know, that was there. But to me, it, it was hard to try to translate what's happening or what's going on to someone that really has no clue. You know what I'm saying? They're not in the house. So even though there may have been, like, some of the outlets that was there, it was I – really, I really couldn't communicate that to them, if that makes, if that makes any sense. You know, mm -hmm. I, I had a couple of friends that I could actually – you know, maybe talk to, um, but even in that, it was a, it wasn't always under, it, it wasn't understood. Now, for me, another person who had actually had that loss, this may sound crazy, but it's like the unspoken. You know that they know exactly how you feel. So you're able to open up to them a lot more. Okay, so you you thought solace in someone with a similar experience. Mhm. Mm mhm. So so my question is, do you think like because I I think that it's a challenging thing to have uh have a traumatic experience where your loss is connected to police. So do you think that that mm -hmm. was probably a factor in in the in the lack of support? Um, because people I guess they just don't know what to say in certain instances when there's you know, police involvement in a situation where someone is murdered. So do you think that that was possibly a contributor to, I don't know how to discuss this with you, because I know, you know, a whole right. lot of people, Tyra, so I'm thinking your support system would have been a large number of people, but do you think the circumstances <laughs> yeah, yeah. limited that, that networking and that strength of support? Absolutely. I, I really do, because, Here's the other factor to that too, and until you, when you just said that, it, it kind of hit a home run. I had to be careful of what I said, you know, because we were still um, looking at going through, you know, proceedings. You know what I'm saying? So, um, wow. So there were would have been people probably a lot more that I would have been able to talk to, but I couldn't because even in an instance like that, with so much stuff going on, you know, around. Um, around the murder and being, you know, a police-involved shooting, you know, you, I really didn't know who I could and couldn't trust. So I really had to be very selective in what I did say and who I did talk to, you know. And so even with the counseling um, that I did from the VA perspective, I, I had to really watch what I said. So I really couldn't be that open and trustworthy. Hmm. Wow. Wow. So so – Elder Shep, what about you and your family? Uh, what, who was a part of your support system um, beyond, you know, beyond, you know, your son, your daughter, and your wife? Who did you guys pull in for support and strength? Oh, wow. Um, the dynamics behind that is a spider web of complexities. Um, of course, my family, my parents were always supportive. Uh, I think it was hard to watch them want to help us, but just didn't know what they could do. I think they felt a little hopeless in, you know, um, 
trying to be there for us because there was so much that we had to deal with. And so when this incident happened, um, basically there was so much press around it that there was a large number of my family, well, our family, mostly Andrea's family, who um, were very active with the press, with their information and things like that, Um, and some of mine as well. Uh, But what what I found is that whatever the press released in things like this, they grab it to be a truth, you know, and, you know, as a result of those things, they have their opinions about the incident, how it happened, and the relationships are, in some cases, still strained from that. Uh, Because one of the things that the press released was uh, some of the pledges from that they were pledging all around the world to give to the victims and the family of the victims um, were uh, an enormous amount of money in pledge, and but most of the families did not receive uh, a lot of what they said they were going to give them. And so as and but if the media said it, your family believe it, and there is this strain because um, you know how we are as a culture, and as a result of those things, I think they believe that there was a tremendous benefit for us through all of this somehow. And, um, but so our, our initial and even long-term support systems were trying to grieve while trying to, at the same time, um, maintain a family structure that ignorance was trying to cripple. Hmm. And I I think we see that a lot when it comes to public, uh, public grief, you know, the, the entertainment factor that we talked about, like where we, we like just run from one uh, thing to the next. And it sounds like that, you know, when Bianca passed that, that was the news, thing of the hour and people immediately shift into let me get what I can get out of this situation because they know people are going to respond financially to their sympathy and empathy about the situation. So it sounds like for both of you, you were placed in a position um, that you had to be thoughtful about who you were allowing to support because, because if you just opened yourself up to support from anyone, you were also opening yourself up to be hurt by that support, which is which is a yeah, very isolating feeling, I would think. Yes, it is. It is, mm-hmm. and a very yeah. hurtful feeling. Yeah. A very hurtful feeling because um, these are people that you love, and they have a form of grief, um, and they are grieving. Uh, you know, but there there were comments that were made like we're grieving just as much as you. <laughs> And, um, right. and, you know, though it's probable, it's, pro- it's possible, it's, it's not probable. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like right. you're, you're grieving, right. but, like, this is, this is of my body. I, I think I feel this one, I feel this one magnified a little bit more than you may, you may be right. feeling it. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that, that becomes a factor because it, it becomes, a, a look at me moment, you know, you 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 don't really get your your moment of saying, let me pull back and grieve because so many people are looking to be, you know, highlighted in that grief. Oh, I'm, I lost uh, my niece or I lost mm-hmm. my nephew. I lost this person, and it's just like, you know, you have to sit back and let them have their moment uh, for the camera, and it, it could it could feel. I guess it's not only isolating, but it's, like you said, hurtful, and it's damaging to relationships in the long run. In the long run, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I want to know, you, you both have, have uh, shifted very uh, firmly from anger and denial um, and just, you know, that whole grief stage you both seem like you have shifted into acceptance of, you know, this is my loss and I'm going to do something 
that is worthy of, you know, my the memory of my child. But tell me, uh, Tyra, what helped you shift into acceptance of your loss? Um, I really believe, I mean, and this is no, I think people who really know me, they, they know that I don't do, like, the fluff stuff. But I think what helped me shift was, reaching out for for that counseling um in the very I'm, I'm telling you that day when elder shelp broke that thing down to me about the parts of you grieving um it just helped me see things totally from from a different from a different lens as i might say it, it helped me see it from a different lens and the one thing that i did know also was that I did not have, I could not be at a place to where I couldn't function because I had other people dependent on me. So I had to go to a place of acceptance and now what do I do next? Because even though I was angry and mad, and there are times where I still, you know, may have those feelings, but I knew that I could not stay there. Does that does that make does it make sense? Did I kind of did I answer what you were uh-huh. asking? Yeah, you you shifted because you had to, you were forced to. Right. Is that what you? That's what you're saying. So yes. so yes. You know, it yes. sounds like you know you you kind of come full circle in that in that in that uh, area, Tyra. Is that your you made your grief uh, you you processed it in convenience. Uh, you didn't you didn't really process every stage at different times because you had to shift for convenience to acceptance. So it's one mm-hmm. of those things like, we, you know, we talk about how to take care of yourself through this process. So I think that even though you are, you know, a few years down the road from, you know, that particular incident, I think that you still have to consider, you, you still have to really be really be thoughtful about your grief process and your, you know, your grief stages, you are now in a position where your grief doesn't have to be in the convenient, in con- be convenient for others. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it sounds like, right. you know, while you, you went through different stages, it was just so compartmentalized that you still have to really dig deep and explore all those different aspects of it. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I can't yeah. argue that. Absolutely. Because yeah. <laughs> even now, and, you know, listening, yeah, they're, they're, you know, I went through, you know, different seasons. And, and the thing about it is grief is a lifelong process. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't just, okay, yeah. you can't go with um, how you have people who I think that have never, I don't know, maybe they haven't experienced grief at certain levels, but just, some of the things how people feel like you you should handle it. Oh well, that happened X Y Z time ago. But no, but to the parent that just that that lost their child. I mean, to me, there's things that triggers that it's just it it just happens. You know, when I get the letters in the mail that has a Johnny's name on it, and you can start school now and you will graduate here. Well, that won't happen for him. You know what I'm saying? You know. When when I get those type of letters, I mean that's that's a trigger for me, and so I have to I have to maneuver as to how I'm going to process through this letter that I just got, you know, because uh-huh. this is a a thing that you're you're sending to him for him to get ready to start the school, and he won't be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Elder Chef, what helped yes. you shift to acceptance? Um. It was really a slow move or a slow fade to acceptance. What I realized in the process is that I'm not the only one who have experienced this and will experience it in the future. And so as I was fading to acceptance, I was learning and considering, I think we both were, how can we help someone that was in our shoes? Now, so our mind was fading to acceptance, but the strength to do it wasn't there. And so when it, the more education we got, 
the more counseling we got, the more we were able to, let's say, deal with the grief or confront the grief through counseling or what have you, we also began to gain strength to accept it and to do something about it. And so for me, if I can do something about what I've learned, what I've experienced to help someone else, I can better accept what I had to go through. And so I think that's, it was a slow fade, you know. Um, It didn't happen overnight, even though we knew at some point things were going to change and shift. Um, Uh And also watching Tyra go through what she went through um, and really being up at night praying for her situation, I didn't know the things to tell her. Um, I knew the questions to ask and what to say because the Lord said, okay, ask this question and she's going to say this, you know, and just genuinely praying for her and seeing what she was going through. Um, Even in that process, I saw this platform from there, and that helped me to see the platform where we are because I saw it in someone else, and I believed that she was going to get to this place, and and now I'm experiencing the same thing. And so it was a slow fade to get here. Um, but, um, you know, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Okay, so, so Elder Chef, you get, you get the last question of the evening. Um, okay. And I, I want to give you this question because this is our target group because uh, women typically grieve openly. They find support that men typically don't be internalized. So what would you say to a man experiencing Mm -hmm. any type of loss, any type of loss that you can think of, divorce, loss of employment, loss of family member, loss of child? What would you say to a man going through the grief process? You're not invincible. You're human. Your gender Mm -hmm. happens to be a male gender, but your emotions are fragile. As strong as you may be, your emotions are fragile. It has to be placed somewhere. It has to be released or it will destroy you and everything that you've worked so hard to accomplish. It will will destroy your relationships. It would destroy your relationship with your family. It would destroy your relationship with God if you don't understand that you're human and that you aren't as strong in areas as you think you are. And there's nothing wrong with releasing some of that and if it means i know i spend many days you know at the grave site you know and i'm the only one that do that and i have conversations you know and it may be crazy to other people but find your way to release some of what you're going through individually and then find your way to express some of what you're going through to your your family and each time you do that you're going to gain a, a, a strength and a fortitude that you didn't know you were able to to gain and trust God. If you don't have a relationship with God, it's going to be very difficult. You know, faith has been a big factor in, in me getting to where I am now. Um, and, uh, and so those, those are things that you have to, you have to learn how to uh, release. Amen. Wow. That's good. That's good. I mean, um, wow, that's that's good. Um, well, y'all, it is that time. It's time to close out. Um, I got to get to the airport so I can get back to South Carolina. Um, I thank you so much, um, Shamik and Elder Shep. Um, I thank you, Shamik, for um, just holding the conversation on the differences in how men and women grieve. Um, and the one thing I, I, I can truly say, man, I'm grateful because there's always work to do. There's always more and more work to do. Um, thank you so much. I appreciate you both. Um, Shamik, do you have anything else that you want to say before we go ahead and close out? Well, I just want to thank you for being, uh, you guys for being awesome co- uh, co-hosts and also um opening up your heart to people who may be experiencing the same thing that you are. It's uh, not a difficult, not a very easy process to go through. It can be very difficult. So I just want to thank both of you for being so open with your sharing today. 
Thank you. All right, all right. Well, this is Pressure Points Unpacked. Um, we're live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, I invite you to please log back in on us on next Tuesday as well um, as we close out the month of August. Um, again, this is Pressure Points Unpacked. You can find us on um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. If you have any questions, anything that you would like for us to discuss, please hit me up and let me know. Um, this is Pressure Points Unpacked. I'm your host, Tyra Little, and I will see you next week. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.